24, verses 36 through 53. As they were talking about these things, Jesus left himself, uh, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still disbelieving, still disbelief for joy and were marveling, they said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day arise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would enlighten our minds to your scripture as you had done with the disciples. So, Father, just pray that you would uh, uh, put the words in Aaron's mouth to speak and us to hear and apply what it is that you've, uh, you've shown us this day. We just thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's kind of a quiet morning, guys. Well, I was uh, up in East Randolph this morning and finished out our Advent series up there uh, with our brothers and sisters. And this was a simple way for us as a church to partner with them uh, in our continued partnership here in ministry in Central Vermont together. And we want to continue to partner together with them uh, in the days ahead. And Lord willing, uh, even though it's a new year, that won't change for us. Uh, we want to fight for unity with each other. We don't want to fight against them. We are uh, not in competition with our brothers and sisters, but we want to collectively and uh, together seek for the glory of God to be known and manifest here in central Vermont. And it's a joy uh, to do that together as two uh, separate local sister churches. Uh, this year, Marty, Femi, and I, we've decided to uh, read a book together. We meet monthly to um, read a book called Churches Partnering Together. Uh, we think we have lots of ideas, but it's always good to add another resource and some people who know what they're talking about. 
uh, into that. And so uh, we're going to read that book together and continue to seek to grow together. And the author of that book, he gives this definition. He says, a kingdom partnership is a gospel-driven relationship between interdependent local churches that pray, work, and share resources together strategically to glorify God through kingdom-advancing goals they could not accomplish alone. So that's what we want to do. That is our goal. Uh, it has always been our goal when this church was planted by them. Uh, and Lord willing, it will be our goal uh, in the days ahead. So let's pray and we'll jump into Luke 24. Father, we thank you for uh, the brothers and sisters of East Randolph who uh, sacrifice much time, resources, uh, prayers, uh, for us to be a church gathered here in Royalton, Vermont. Uh, we thank you for the ways in which they have blessed us. And God, we ask that you would help us to bless them as we partner together in the gospel. God, that we would be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, that we would encourage and exhort and love one another as you love us. God, thank you for this great privilege to open up your word together uh, as two churches, to be submitted to it together, to walk forward in this life you've called us to together, to give you glory together. And we ask that you would help us this morning as we open up and we see your word in Luke 24 to encourage us, to exhort us, to rebuke us and train us for righteousness. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our Advent series, we, we started uh, back early December looking at our agony of sin and how God was then faithful to fulfill his assignment by sending his son um, to arrive on Christmas. So we celebrated on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, his arrival and then his adoration. Uh, this morning we look at our anticipation. And maybe you're like me as you were uh, thinking about our anticipation. I was thinking about it like, why do we choose anticipation as a sermon title for New Year's Day? Shouldn't have this been done at the beginning of the series as we were anticipating things? And uh, although the decorations are not away here at the church, many of your decorations are already down. You've hopefully stopped listening to Christmas music by now, and you're going to wait until Thanksgiving of this year. Uh, maybe your tree is on the burn pile. Uh, one thing I do know that I can anticipate is that we will all fail at our New Year's resolution, so let's just acknowledge that now. Uh, but Jesus came as a humble baby. He lived a sinless and perfect life. He died a substitutionary death, and we know that he rose from the dead. And so, now what? What are we anticipating? Like these disciples who walked with Jesus for three years, Jesus didn't remain with them on earth, as we saw in our reading this morning. Like them, we are left here working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus tells these disciples at the end of Luke to go on a mission, to join him on what he is doing in the world. And we too press forward in mission as we anticipate the days ahead. But there's three things that we'll see in our text this morning that gives us the ability, the desire, the resources to press forward. Because we have a Savior, it's the first thing. He provides salvation, and He gives us His Spirit. So, look with me again at verse 36. 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Spirit, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. So we have a lot to talk about during Advent. It's all centered upon Jesus for good reason. It's about Him. His arrival in humble circumstances, He ended up on a cross, and so we, we worship Him and we adore Him. And we find ourselves in verse 36, as this disciples, they were talking about what had taken place. The, you might be familiar with the story of the road to Emmaus, where the disciples had walked with Jesus, and He arrives and He appears to them in this room, after they're discussing, like, what had all taken place. And he declares to them, first and foremost, peace. Peace is a huge theme in Luke's gospel, if you're familiar with it. In our week two of our series, we looked at uh, the angel Gabriel arriving to Zechariah in the temple, and Zechariah's response to God and worshiping God at the birth of his son was this in Luke chapter 1. Was his son would be the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah, that his son would say and come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And as the shepherds are, were in the field and waiting, uh, the angels appeared to them at the, after the birth of Jesus. And the angels, if you recall, declared this about the coming of the Messiah. It said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Where God is in animosity towards people who are against Him. And we are all against Him at one point in our life before we believe. But by believing in Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, it brings us peace. Paul says this in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even with Jesus' words of peace, they are scared. These disciples don't know what's going on. The one commentator said that the disciples are operating with, or not operating with, expectations of the miraculous. The disciples, they don't feel peace. They are rattled. They are unprepared for what has taken place. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that sanctification is a process. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I ask all of you to answer the question, would you respond any differently than these disciples? The honest answer is not what comes probably first to our mind, like, oh yeah, I know all these things, I would respond appropriately. The honest answer is, I probably have the same doubts as these guys do. Where sanctification, our process of growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus, it takes time. I love what Paul's words to the Philippian church in chapter 3. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. And so as we anticipate our future, our mission, maybe our death, hopefully Jesus' second coming before all that happens, it will be hard at times to press on. In light of the trouble, though, Jesus asked them in verse 38, Why are you troubled? Sounds almost like a prank. Like he knows what's going on and why are you so 
terrified right now. Maybe it's because they walked with him for three years and he ended up on a cross. Maybe after he ended up on a cross and he was put in a grave, that he rose from the dead. That would probably give them a little bit of trouble. Or maybe they were just in this room and wondering about all these things that had taken place and he just appears, startling them. But let's not think that we are any better off than these guys, that we would respond properly in these circumstances. We have God's full counsel, all of the scriptures, but we still struggle with our own skepticism, don't we? All of humanity is skeptical. These guys don't even know what to anticipate. We do. We know what happened with the church, and we still have questions ourselves. Will God grow our churches? Will God save my family members? Will God provide for my financial needs? Will I have a job tomorrow? Will God heal my sickness or help me not to be sick next year or this year? None of us are sure of any of these things. We live in a world of uncertainty. From our perspective, much is uncertain, but from God's perspective, nothing is uncertain. We saw a real birth of a Messiah. He truly died. He actually rose from the dead. And our assignment comes from our Savior. Jesus shows them His hands. He shows them His feet. He tells them, touch and see with your own eyes. He's not a ghost. He is flesh and bones, scarred still with the nails and the piercing from His cross. Jesus affirms, it is I myself, in verse 39. It's the foundation for all the claims in this Gospel of Luke, but also for the rest of the Scripture. The Savior has risen from the dead. And while we anticipate what is to come, struggling in this world, friends, I want you to remember, we have a Savior. Look at verse 41. It says they still disbelieve, but they had joy and were marveling. They had all the emotions at the same time. So Jesus asked them, do you have any food? To further strengthen that their Savior has risen from the dead, Jesus shows them his wounds. He allows them to see and to touch, but he also takes a bite of food. Ghosts don't take bites of food. Spirits don't consume food. Maybe you're heading into the new year with a bit of fear. What will happen with our economy? What will happen with my job? What will happen with my health? What will happen with that strained relationship? What will happen with the person I've been sharing the gospel with over and over again? Maybe the ones that even live in your home or a family member, a friend, a coworker. Will they be saved? Those things are hard, but the most important question that we need to answer and that we need to be asking is, do I have a Savior? Do I believe in Jesus? Do I trust Him as substitute for my sin? Do I trust God that when He says He will save His people from their sin by believing in the gospel, that He will actually save His people, that He'll save you and me? And so as we anticipate this new year, what may or may not come down the road, we have a Savior. And Luke also records that He provides salvation. Look at verse 44. Then He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the, his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
And so as we anticipate what is to come for us, we rest in what God has already done for us. The Savior directs the disciples that he's talking to, to the Word of God and to the Gospel, where we can endure and we can press on because we have a Savior who provides our salvation. Jesus doesn't deliver us from our earthly troubles primarily. He has victory over our greatest troubles, our greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death. Where Jesus references his words as spoken prior to this time in his ministry, and he puts them on par with the rest of the Old Testament. He says the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, all of the Old Testament. And so how can this be, though? Well, he's God, but he's also a resurrected Savior who has been given and proven his authority. Upon Jesus' resurrection rests all that we see in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. If he didn't raise, we should not follow his words. He would be a liar. But he did. And so we should believe everything, even the hard things. So Jesus' final conversation with his disciples before his departure to heaven, it reiterates the conviction, the testimony of Scripture that is the bedrock by which the mission of the church rests, what drives us forward. The disciples are to bear witness to what they have seen and heard, and it's rooted in our Bibles. Who Jesus and what he does matters, and it helps us as we anticipate what is to come before us. Let me read it again. This is the content. He says, The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That's the gospel. That's our call to mission as we anticipate what is before us. In verse 45, the text says that he opened their minds to understand this, where we need God's help. Without God's help, we cannot understand the things of the Bible. More importantly, we cannot believe and understand the gospel. Our lives are tainted with sin. We are sinners not because we sin. We sin because by our very nature, we are sinners. We need God's help to penetrate our dead hearts and to believe and understand and apply and live out of the gospel. Where we endure and press on by anticipating what is to come because we have a real Savior who provides real salvation for us. Paul explains this divine act and salvation to the Ephesian church in chapter 2. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Well, maybe you've considered, well, I was the one who believed. God didn't infringe on my autonomy. That would negate my free will if he did that. Well, in Luke's second volume, he wrote two-volume uh, account of the life of Jesus and the life of the early church. The second volume is the book of Acts. Luke records this in Acts 13. He says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. How it all works, I am not entirely sure. We respond but God is the one who appoints us to respond. We don't ask God to save other people without infringing upon their free will. We ask Him, penetrate it, break them, transform their minds and their hearts to respond to you. Save my siblings, save my friends, save my coworker, save my neighbor. God, do your work. Infringe away. 
Like these disciples here in our text today, we are given a mission. We're given a mission to proclaim the repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name, in His name rather, to everyone. And since these disciples have witnessed God's plan and now understand it, they are now commissioned to go and proclaim it themselves as they anticipate God giving non-believers eternal life. Our role is to proclaim. God's role is to provide salvation. I think it's more freeing to trust God with the salvation of others than to worry about it ourselves. God is the one who saves. He desires to partner with us in those things. Salvation is revealed in Scripture alone, through the work of Christ alone, by the gift of God alone, in grace, by faith alone, for the glory of God alone. But it comes from our mouths. And when we trust God to provide that gift, it doesn't matter we don't have to worry, rather, about how well we communicated that gospel. We just need to communicate it. And we just need to trust God with the fruit. We're not seeking customers. We're proclaiming life to dead people. And if it depends on us, we really worry. Did I share it well enough? Did I smile enough? The most loving thing to do is to declare the gospel. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Where we declare it and God uses it, salvation comes from hearing the gospel, and we trust God to give people newness of life. We proclaim and God saves. We proclaim that we have a Savior who provides salvation. Salvation from our sins is a work of Jesus, and it's a gift of God. The proclamation of the gospel is our role as we anticipate what is to come. And so if we're in a comfortable place, we proclaim the gospel. If we're in a difficult place, we proclaim the gospel. If we have fears or doubts or struggles, I think you know the answer. We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the gospel to ourselves personally, like looking in a mirror, because we need reminders. I need reminders all the time. Jesus loves you. We proclaim the gospel to each other because we all struggle with sins. And as we gather, we see that, we hear that, and we can say, Jesus loves you too, and he has died for you. We proclaim the gospel to those outside of the church. We cannot not proclaim the gospel if we truly believe it is the life that all of us, including those outside of the church, truly need. It is the power of God for salvation. Verse 47, 48 says, you are my witnesses. Jesus doesn't say you may be my witnesses. Or if you want to be my witnesses, that would be really nice of you. He says you are my witnesses. And so as we anticipate what is to come, trials and tribulations, or victory or death, maybe even Jesus' second coming, you will be witnesses. We all make disciples. The question is, who do we make disciples of? shouldn't follow me or Marty or Femi or any of your elders if we are not following Christ. Paul says this to the Corinthian church, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We'd make disciples of Jesus. And so is your discipleship to the proper Jesus as revealed in the scriptures and the salvation that he provides? Or is your discipleship and your declaration or your demonstration to others about maybe a prosperity Jesus? Well, he just wants you to have victory all the time. Ask Job how that went. Is the Jesus that you display to others a weak Jesus where the world is just basically full of good people? Well, Paul says that no one is good, not even one. 
Or is the Jesus that you portray to others, the Jesus of a self-esteem coach? Well, you can do it. Just believe in yourself. Jesus says he didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners like you and I. Is your Jesus the one who expresses individualism? Be true to yourself. Live authentically. He wants you to be happy. Well, Jeremiah says that who can trust our hearts? They're deceitful. Maybe your Jesus is just an option as a way or a truth or a life. Well, we know in the book of Acts that there's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. Or maybe your Jesus says that you can have faith, but you also need to do some things to be right with God. We have nothing to do with our salvation, as we just saw in the text this morning, except to respond to the offer of forgiveness and repentance. Or is it Jesus you declare to others, well, Jesus is my righteousness, so I can now do whatever I want because he's forgiven me. Well, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So you're no longer slave to your old way of life where you can joyfully submit to him and live according to his word, no longer bound as slaves to sin. There is one Jesus who is our Savior. He provides for us salvation, repentance, forgiveness of sins by the act of God and his grace towards us. Nothing else needs to be done other than to believe. No other response is to be given except obedience in response to what God has already done. Not so that we are saved. It's a work of God. And so let's be a witness to that Jesus. As you anticipate what's before us, we have a Savior. He provides salvation, but He also sends us His Spirit. Would you look at verse 49 with me through the end of the chapter? And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And as they worshipped him, and they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. The Savior provides salvation. He also sends us His Spirit. God keeps His promises because God's assignment is faithfulness. It has been from the beginning. It will be so moving forward. He says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The disciples received the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you know the story in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit does come upon these believers. Where the Holy Spirit would enable the disciples to fulfill their commission as Jesus' witness. He says, I am sending emphasizing the certainty of it. The Holy Spirit, by His very nature, is personal, relational. He is fully God, where the Spirit gives life, helps us to understand God's Word, helps us to apply God's Word, helps us to believe God's Word. When the Spirit came upon the early church in Acts 2, it marked a new era in world history before Christ's return, and we are still in that era today. The Spirit ministers to us. He reminds us of God's Word, causes us to repent, live according to God's Word. Paul says this of the Spirit in Romans 8. 
says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Not only do we talk to each ourselves in the mirror and we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, but the Spirit reminds us of who we are in Christ. We proclaim it to others and the Spirit reminds us who we are too. I'm a fairly forgetful person. You might think that's kind of odd, but I give myself lots of reminders of things because I have all these things just constantly going through my mind. Where the Spirit's role is not only to equip us for the work of ministry, but to remind us of what God has done for us. Even as we have our doubts and we have our fears, as we anticipate what is coming before us. I think many have turned away from the church over the last three years. Maybe they didn't believe to begin with. They wouldn't have had the Spirit to remind us of these things. Jesus just reminds the disciples to look forward to what is to come. They have a Savior standing before them. They have salvation because of what He has done for them. They have a Spirit who will remind them that they are children of God and to live accordingly and press on. I'm not saying this so that you should go and declare to all the people that maybe aren't part of the church anymore, you're not saved anymore, but maybe it is an encouragement that you should go pursue them and call them to God's body, to God's church. After saying these things, Jesus blessed them to go to be a blessing. Their response to all of this in verse 52 was to worship. They returned to Jerusalem, being faithful to the call that God gave them, that Jesus gave them, and they had great joy. Their great fear had turned to great joy. The gospel has ended where it all began. If we recall from the time of Zechariah in chapter 1, it all started in the temple. He had great fear, and it turned into great joy. It was good news of great joy declared by the angels to the shepherds at Jesus' birth, where trials will come in the days ahead. We have a Savior, though, who provides salvation, who sends us His Spirit, where church hi or human history is just littered with suffering and mayhem. Maybe 2022 was like that for you. Maybe 2021 was like that for you. We can all agree 2020 was like that for all of us. These disciples gathered and worshipped to worship, and they continued to gather as they anticipated what was to come for them, including the coming of the Spirit and the suffering that would come for living a life in Jesus' name. For those who believe the gospel, we receive the Holy Spirit. All that we have received from God, the Father, through His Son, in the power of the Spirit, should lead us to worship. And then and only then do we respond in the Holy Spirit, through the Son, to the Father, and we look ahead, anticipating with joy what is to come for us. The early church did this. They received the Holy Spirit. Jesus, or sorry, James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote this to the early church in James chapter 1 before he was stoned to death. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Persecution comes for God's people. But when it does, we must remember that we have a Savior who provides salvation. He gives us His Spirit. Jesus calls us to go. As we know from our study in the Gospel of John, those who love Him obey His commandments, and so will we go. Will we submit by the power of the Spirit and the authority of God's Word 
and go as we anticipate what is to come for us. We're church, we are passive in faith, but we are active in our love. First we receive, and then we give to others what we have already received. We have as much to look forward to as anybody. Heaven is going to be awesome. There's no more suffering, there's no more sickness, there's no more tears, there's going to be no more sin. But we aren't there yet, and so we anticipate what is to come before us by trusting what has already come already. God is faithful to His assignment by sending His Son, and so we worship and adore Him on Christmas to deal with our agony of sin. The early church continued to meet together and to gather as they received the Holy Spirit. And our values of Cornerstone Church, we see in Acts 2.42 that helped us to cast some vision. And we'll be starting a sermon series in the book of Ezra and then Nehemiah uh, starting next week. But this is what the early church gave themselves to in Acts 2.42. It says, they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers where the early church devoted themselves to the Scriptures, to God's Word. That's why we encourage you to a Bible reading plan. The plan's on the back. It's January 1st. It's not too late. I'll still tell you that in March and November. It's not too late to get into your Bible. There's no magic formula that you have to read it X amount of times in your lifetime or X amount of times in your year to get a sticker on your heavenly chart. But in a world that teases us with bite-sized nuggets of news every 24 hours titillating us, to keep our attention, friends, we need God's Word. We need news that will endure forever. Good news will make its way to you if it's truly good news. Don't worry about your social media account. Don't worry about your news channel. I'm not saying that social media and the news channel are bad things. But we need God's Word more than that. The words, as Peter said, of eternal life. Maybe you would delete your social media account off your phone. Add a scripture memory app instead. I did it yesterday and realized as I was watching the football game how many times I picked up my stupid phone to look at it. And there's nothing on there to look anymore. But I still have this habit. And so let's kill these habits. We need God's word. We have a savior. He provides salvation. He sends us his spirit. Make a resolution this year to be devoted to God's Word. The early church devoted themselves to fellowship. As Jesus left them and went to heaven, they went to the temple and they remained there continually. As God's people, we get to come alongside each other, to bear one another's burdens, to love one another. And we can't do that, though, if we're alone. The pastor who wrote the letter to the Hebrews said not to neglect the gathering of the fellowship of the body of Christ. And that's more of a message for those who aren't here this day. But it's also a message for us as we remember, as we wake up maybe next Sunday, I'm tired. I don't want to hear Aaron again. We need to be together. When times are tough, we need each other. When times are good, we need each other. Don't neglect gathering. There will be a time, like every Sunday and every day, when we need these reminders. We have a Savior. He provides salvation. He sends us His Spirit. A.W. Tozer said, Go to church once a week, and nobody pays attention. Worship God seven days a week, and you become strange. Let's be strange. It'll be okay. We can be strange together. Make a resolution to be devoted to gathering with God's people this year. On Sundays, 
Midweek, we start back up on January 25th. Anytime you can, be with God's people. The church devoted themselves as well to the breaking of bread, or celebrating or remembering the gospel, which we will do shortly in celebrating communion. We forget all the time. We doubt. We have fears. We need reminders of what God has done for us. We hear that from the pulpit. We hear that as we open our Bible, that we have a Savior. He provides salvation. He sends us His Spirit. Make a resolution to be devoted to the gospel this year, continually repenting of your sin, resting in the forgiveness that you have in Jesus, asking others for forgiveness when you sin against them, giving forgiveness when they come and ask you for it, proclaiming the gospel to each other, proclaiming the gospel to everyone outside this church. And finally, they devoted themselves to prayer, humble dependence, we pray to God. We ask Him to help us. We get to do that together. We seek His will. We ask through the Spirit because of what the Son has done for us to reconcile us to the Father, that we anticipate what is to come, and it might be hard. And I love the words of John Piper. He says, You cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. And so God, help us. Lord Jesus, return. We have a Savior. He provides salvation. He sends us His Spirit. So make a resolution this year to be devoted to prayer in your home, in your family, with your church, personally. You can join us if you're a man. Monday mornings, 6 a.m. If you don't like to wake up early, you can still join us on Monday mornings at 6 a.m. <laughs> Ladies, there's Read, Pray, Sing that Kristen does once a month. It's the date's in your bulletin. We need God's help. Let's do this together. Maybe delete another app off your phone. There's an app called Prayer Mate that you can add to your phone that'll remind you to pray these things. Or delete another app and you can have an uh, app called Fighter Verses and it'll help you to memorize different passages of Scripture that are applicable and helpful to our lives. We get to continue the great legacy of the early church, even today in 2023. As a great missionary to India, William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And that's something to look forward to as we anticipate what is to come for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to yourself, to us, to your church. You will build your church, your son said. The gates of hell shall never prevail against it, your son said. You will be with us always, even to the end of the age, your son said. And so we rest in that. And so we can expect great things from you because you've done great things already. You will be with us even in the challenging things. And we can attempt great things for you. We can attempt to give ourselves to your word. We can attempt to give ourselves to your people. We can attempt to give ourselves to the gospel. We can attempt to give ourselves to prayer because we can rest in what you've already done for us. 
And so, God, we ask that by the power of your spirit, we would do that, that this would be a year, 2023, where we are devoted to the things that you care about most. But God, we acknowledge that our world is filled with things that we do care about that maybe not be as important as these things revealed in your word, but they're burdensome for us. And so, God, would you remind us continually that we have a Savior in your Son, that he provided us salvation, and you give us your Spirit. And by your Spirit, remind us of these things. Keep our, help us to keep ourselves in the love of God, to abide in your Word, to abide in your Son, for your glory and our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.